Comic Book Club News gives you the comic book news you need to know first thing in the morning every weekday in the form of digestible three to five minute long podcasts. Comic Book Club News recaps breaking news stories from Marvel, DC Comics, and beyond Monday through Friday. New episodes drop 6 a.m. ET in the Comic Book Club News feed so they're ready for you when you're ready for the day. Comic Book Club News. You hear it second or third, possibly fourth. What is up, everybody? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. I'm Pete. And on The Stack, we have, oh my gosh, so many titles to talk about today. I don't know if I counted this correctly, but I believe we're going to be talking through 39 comics on this podcast. So let's get through us. I'm going to put on a timer. I'm going to give us like two minutes per title, and that's it. Oh, Particularly man. The Punisher. No time to talk about it. We just yeah, gotta, right. Like, go up yourself with that one. Yes, we'll probably spend a little more time on some of them, but why don't we kick it off with a big issue for us personally this week? Do a power bomb number seven oh from Image God. Comics by Daniel Warren Johnson. Daniel Warren Johnson, of course, a big favorite of Pete's. And the idea of this story is a daughter and father have teamed up to go at a Mortal Kombat style wrestling match in order to bring her mom, his wife, back to life. They have ultimately, as of the last issue, been teamed up against God in a wrestling match, and that's where we end up at this final issue. So let's talk about this. How do you feel about this final issue? How do you feel this series wrapped up, Pete? And just spoilers here, I assume we can get into. Yeah, I mean, I'm so sad to see this end. This was just such an epic adventure and run, and... You know, it's just classic Daniel Warren Johnson where you have these underneath all the insanity is unbelievable heart. Just these just getting welled up teary eyed moments of just absolute uh, glorious human emotions. I, I, I love his writing. I love his art style. It's just such a unbelievable father-daughter story, and then having to wrestle God, who is just this, like, unbelievable badass, and hysterical moments of, like, the announcer, like, uh, as having some fun liberties with the fact that God is wrestling. They're like, oh, the creator throws it down with a, you know, reverse, you know, just so fun. Um, but yeah, uh, just absolutely just so emotional. I mean, when she throws down the belt and is like, I don't want to, I want my mother, you know, and then the memory that uh, he kind of gives her, you know, she had part of a memory of her and kind of gives her a full memory. It just, oh, gets you in the feels. Just so oh amazing. Oh, my God. I cannot believe that an issue that is, the majority of it is taken up with wrestling God had me crying at the end, yeah. like straight up. Yeah. I hope nobody comes into the room. I am bawling my <laughs> eyes out at the end of this issue. And that that isn't even that moment you mentioned. I don't want to spoil the moment, like the last panel of the issue, but that moment that you mentioned where she gets her memory back, the way that Daniel Warren Johnson draws it, with the, this memory of the kid's room with almost like this fisheye lens over it, which is the way that you remember your childhood room, that got me. It, wow, the room got you. What got me was the mom kind of like 
leaving, like that moment mm-hmm. of like, hey, I'm not sure what happens when you die. And she goes to leave and then stops and kind of has this idea. And she's like, actually, it could be like wrestling. And then I was just like, oh, <laughs> just like the fact that we're, you know, quote unquote, like wasting panels with these moments of characters thinking and feeling and like pausing. And it's just like. Oh, I mean, there's all these epic, like unbelievable wrestling moments against God that was just uh, just like, you know, so unbelievably uh, uh, crazy and fun and over the top and everything you would kind of expect. But, um, yeah, just um also, I'm glad God wasn't like such a super douche. Like, I loved how God started and was like all the things that kind of was said. And like, I was really impressed with how that was all handled and went down. Uh, just Well, to that point, I think, and I'm not the biggest wrestling fan, but I think this was really respectful of wrestling and the yeah. idea of wrestling where it is people fighting, but it ultimately is also this very positive experience for people where they enjoy it and they love it. And there's the ludicrous thing they say out loud, but that's what comes through with the way that Daniel Warren Johnson writes God. He's a guy who's like, I love wrestling. I'd love to wrestle you. That would be a fun time. Let's do yeah. that. And it would be a very easy thing, like you're saying, to make God a dick in this situation. And that's not the direction he goes. Oh, yeah. But, like, and also a lot of times in wrestling, they have the heel, they have the back, you know, these like fun things. Uh, yeah, it just it's great because it's like it's such a great homage or nod to wrestling that even if you don't know wrestling, it doesn't keep you. I hope it's not keeping people from picking this book up. You know what I mean? That like, oh, it's about wrestling. I don't really, you know what I mean? Like, it's not really about wrestling. It's about a father and a daughter dealing with loss. And it's, it's just so beautiful. It's fantastic. Between this, Murder Falcon, Beta Ray Bill, the Wonderwood book, everything else that he's done. Daniel Warren Johnson. the game, dude. Killing the game. Guy yeah. is just unbelievable. I cannot wait to see what he does next. Yeah. Speaking of things that are next, let's talk about the next book, Dark Web, number one from Marvel, written by Zeb Wells, art by Adam Cooper. This is the official kickoff of the big Spider-Man event that's going to be running through all the titles ongoing. This is teaming up Ben Riley, who is now a villain called Chasm, with the Goblin Queen, a.k.a. Madeline Pryor. So it's two clones versus all the X-Men and Spider-Man. And... I know I expect uh, I express some reservation about this with the last issue of Amazing Spider-Man, but this issue took me a far way to selling me on this event. And I think part of that is Inferno is one of my absolute favorite Marvel events of all time. I love it. So having the nostalgic factor there, I don't want to undervalue that. But I think they did a really good job of selling the direction of Ben Riley, the direction of Madeline Pryor as the Goblin Queen. There's some very weird, fun flourishes in here. I'm much more on board with this issue, particularly after the cliffhanger at the end, that I was going into it just based on the sole premise. How'd you feel, Pete? I I thought this was a really cool collection of stories. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't, 
it didn't deal with too much stuff that kind of like set me off. So I was very happy with how it kind of handled things. And, you know, Ben Riley, for some people, it's, you know, it's kind of a make or break Spider-Man moment where like, oh, I fucking hate this shit. Or some people are like, oh, this is great. So like, it's, it's kind of a, a it's, it can be an issue for some people, but I feel like they did it in such a way that it wasn't too kind of offsetting or too triggering. I really thought, and I I agree it ended in a really fun way as well so um yeah i I felt like they they handled it well good stuff excited to see where this goes let's turn to gargoyles number one from dynamite written by greg weissman art by george cambadius this is an official continuation of the gargoyles series from back in the day and I'll, i'll tell you this a lot of this issue is just recap of where we've been before, but frankly, it's been decades at this point, so it <laughs> felt somewhat necessary. I enjoyed Gargoyles back in the day. I don't think that I necessarily kept up with it, but you know, Greg Neisman knows what he was doing when it comes to the property, of course, and I think that worked for me. I imagine, Pete, you were a little more of a Gargoyles fan than I was. Or Yeah, I watched all the episodes, uh, very much loved it. Yeah, I'm glad they gave us some uh, kind of breathing room in this, kind of set it up, let us know, kind of like a refresher a little bit of... Uh, where things were and kind of uh, getting ourselves back in. I'm very excited about this. I mean, Gargoyles is one of one of my favorite properties. Uh, you know, it was a staple uh, when I was watching cartoons back in the day. So, yeah, I, I felt like they did a great job of bringing that to the comic book uh, world in, in a way that really felt like uh, they just kind of pulled it straight from the cartoon. Yeah, it definitely feels like a worthy continuation. Next up, Batman number 130 from DC Comics, written by Chip Zdarsky, art by Jorge Menez and Leonardo Romero. This is the end of the failsafe arc. Failsafe is a robot that Batman created to stop Batman if he ever went wrong. Now, failsafe has pretty much destroyed the entire DC universe, trapped Batman in space, and he doesn't know he's going to get back. Big spoilers here, but the majority of the issue is spent with Batman figuring out how he's going to get back from space by, you know, just free-falling back down to earth and then taking out false more than that asshole don't be a dick this issue is wild and phenomenal and this arc is incredible i can't believe where they end it and i'm very excited to see what's going to happen next there's emotional moments here there's big action moments here this is awesome also, like Robin losing you know spoilers we're getting into it here but like Robin losing his mind and being like Batman, what's going on? He's just like, oh, no big deal. I just fell from space. Uh, let me, <laughs> all right, let's uh, let's go over the plan. Just hysterical. Um, yeah, I mean, crazy. Batman's dead. Superman's dead. Like, what? Where is this going to go? Um, yeah, I, uh, I'm, they really uh, swung for the fences with this in a great way. The art is super tight bananas. Yeah, this is just a this is a fun book, and um, you know I love the old crazy robot versus Batman. You know, Batman robot versus Batman scenario. You know what I mean? So yeah, fun, fun, fun. It's great stuff. Thanos Death Notes number one from Marvel, written by Torin Gronback, Christopher Cantwell, J. Michael Straczynski, and Kyle Starks. Art by Andre Andrea DeVito, Travel Foreman, Jeff Shaw, and Ron Lim. In this issue, we're following up on the main plot lines that are happening over in the Thor book, where Thanos is 
quote-unquote dead. However, Thor has seen a vision. This is something that was teased all the way back into Downey Cates' run and then uh, through various other titles as well of Thanos not only having Mjolnir with the Infinity Stones on it and a crew of Marvel zombies backing him up, but also a black gauntlet with what we now is know as a black Infinity Stone. So this is Thor doing a bunch of research which, as we know from watching Avengers Age of Ultron, he's very good at doing. And uh, going through some stories of Thanos, I'll tell you what, this book went so much harder than I thought it would. These are three, four, excuse me, great stories. All of them are really, really good and take Thanos from different angles. I was surprised how good this collection was. Yeah, I was a little worried that we were going to kind of have like this, you know, like DC went hard on that like nth metal. And then Mm -hmm. we had to learn about like this dark metal that has been there the whole time that we didn't know about and all this. You know what I mean? But they were like, okay, it's just, you know, there's a black stone. So be scared. Be very scared. And yeah, we're going to. So I'm glad we didn't get too into the weeds on it a little bit. But, I mean, this is really setting up a lot of crazy things for Thanos, and I'm all for it. I feel like Thanos is a great villain, um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I think this is just this is just kind of, uh, yeah, we get like a couple Thanos books here, and this is all just, uh, this is great Thanos fun here. I'll also mention, I didn't include it in the stack, but the Thor issue that immediately follows this that also comes out this week. It's also very good, but that's very much kicking things into the next arc. If you just want to read a bunch of essentially done-in-one stories that really flesh out the history of Thanos, check out this issue. It's great. Know Your Station, number one, for Boob Studios, written by Sarah Gailey, art by Leanna Kangas. I was very excited about this based on the creative team, who are both killing it in everything that they are doing. This is a really fun, very cool detective story set in a sci-fi world that still has some really good touchstones for our world. Basically, the idea is a bunch of the absolute worst rich people that you ever heard of have founded a salvation for humanity. But of course, it's layered by the proletariat and uh, the people at the height of capitalism. And we're following a detective who is not a detective in the station as they deal with a absolutely horrific murder. I, I love this. I think Sarah Gailey, who I've been really enjoying on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, does a fantastic job balancing humor and horror and mystery and cultural commentary here, while Leanna Kangas's art draws great characters, really good space stuff, and some absolutely horrific tableaus throughout this book. There's a page flip that happens to a corpse that you see yeah, that is... Yeah, I wish you... Yeah. Horrifying. I, did, I didn't want to rethink about that, but thank oh you. my gosh, what did you think about this one, Pete? Well, this is kind of a a fun like who done it in space, where it's like a murder mystery kind of feel a little bit to it, where we have we're kind of following this detective as she's kind of putting pieces together. But yeah, there's a huge horror element to it. The kind of reveal of that body in that page was so gruesome and so messed up. And it's also there's like you know uh, futuristic drugs and you know all sorts of different society kind of shit going on. So like I feel like for a first ish, this did a great job of grabbing your attention, hitting you with some really cool art that kind of really matches the tone and brings you into this different world in such a great way. Yeah, it does a great 
great job of of getting you excited for more and kind of giving you a kind of like this is what we're going to do. This is going to be kind of uh, how we're going to operate. And I think great job, just fantastic. Yeah, this is a great new sci-fi mystery that I'm very excited to follow. Next up, Noctera Val Special from Image Comics, written by Scott Snyder and Tony S. Daniel, art by Francis Manipool. Like the previous Blacktop Bill special, I believe I'm getting that name right, this is actually a very essential one-shot in terms of what has been going on with Val in the Noctera series. We follow her up on our year after the events of the last issue, where now she is entirely encased in this black material that turns her into a shade repellent. And we also go back in time to find out a little bit more about her origin and herself. Scott and Tony really dig into her psyche here in a really interesting way. It's a very dark story, uh, but a really good one at the same time. And Francis Matapool as usual, is oh, yeah. the pool unimpeachable. Is, yeah, the pool, just, yeah, I mean, you want to talk about super tight bananas art. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on. Jump into this pool. The water is just fine. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I really think that this is, you know, if Justin was here, he would really talk about, like, he loves getting inside people's heads, and we've been riding with this character can I throw something out there? I don't think he likes getting inside people's heads as much as you like saying Justin likes getting inside. People's heads. No, dude. If you say he I think loves, you like that more. no, 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 he does. Okay. Um, but yeah, you spend. It's great, you know, because we've been following this character for a long time, and so now we're getting the backstory and stuff like that on this character, which is what I've wanted, and I feel like this was a uh, a perfect time for this special to kind of give us this. Uh, before the kind of story jumps forward. So I think uh, these, I mean, the you know, it's worth it for the art alone and the art team uh, has been so solid throughout all of the Noctera stuff. So I think this is just another so- solid issue and we're kind of getting more in this world. And I've been really impressed with the kind of deep dives that we've been doing in different characters and stuff like that. They've been really paying off and rewarding people who've been reading along and kind of uh, wondering what's going on. Yeah. It also makes me wonder how much more life is left in this series. I don't necessarily want it to go, but it definitely feels like they're heading towards some sort of end game here, which I'm very interested to check out. Let's talk about a new start, though, with Miles Morales, Spider-Man, number one from Marvel, written by Cody Ziegler, art by Frederico Vincentini. This is following Miles back in his old costume again, fighting crime in the city, the Scorpion, other people who are animal-themed. And uh, I'll tell you what, I, through most of this issue, I felt like, this is a good Miles Morales book, what right but what, what is the mission statement here? Like, what is the thing that makes this different? And the reveal at the end does a really good job of making you go back, look through the issue and realize, oh, okay, there was something going on here that we didn't necessarily know the entire time. And I'm on board. I think there's a good take here. It really recenters Miles in a very simple way that is smart for the character. I like this book. Yeah, I think this is a really solid first ish here. You got uh, great art, uh, just fun of like old school kind of like uh, Spider-Man villains here fighting Miles Morales and the commentary and the quipping back and forth. It's just great. It's really fun. And it's a nice 
breath of fresh air for Spider-Man. And yeah, I've been really, I think they've been doing such a great job with Miles Morales. And uh, this is, you know, this is exactly that. It is um, just solid art, great action, some fun Spider-Man quipping. And yeah, I think uh, does a good job of giving you those extra kind of layers to keep coming back for more. So I'm excited to see what happens. Or... Wahabis. I knew it. I was going to call you out on that. I, I appreciate it, Pete. Poison Ivy, number seven from DC Comics, written by G. Willow Wilson, art by Attica and Elhan. This is a nice surprise because apparently the series was initially supposed to end with issue number six, but due to popular demand, it continued. So here we're getting Poison Ivy tackling with a new slash old character that was introduced in a one-shot story and investigating a new mystery that ties back to the first arc of the book. Frankly, I'm so glad this continued because this is one of my favorite books that DC is putting out right now. Very glad to see it and very excited to see where this goes. What did you think, Pete? Well, first off, STB all caps. All right. The art in these Poison Ivy books are bananas. It's just uh, just so much fun. It's so cool. Such a great take on Poison Ivy. Uh, just such a cre- well-created story, brilliantly paired with uh, unbelievable art. It's such a fun ride. I have such a great time with this comic, and it's the twists and turns of this issue are just as twisted as Poison Ivy yourself. Ooh, good quote. I love it. It's only Teenage Wasteland, number one from Dark Horse Comics, written by Kurt Pyers, art by Jacobi Salcido. Uh, potentially getting to spoilers here. I just want to put that out there because the majority of the book is dealing with a bunch of kids who are in high school and trying to throw a party. They're kind of uncool, but not totally uncool kids. And they're trying to be the cool kids. And we go through a bunch of different, like, classic teen movies slash teen scenarios here. Before we end up in the actual concept of the book, this to me felt like a, I know it's Dark Horse Comics, but a classic image comic structure of here's the setup of our characters and here's the concept in the last page. But... I think the way that Kurt Pyers and Jacobo B. Salcedo structure it, I was totally into the teen high school stuff that was going on. So I was honestly not expecting the last page twist. And when we got to there, it felt like not so much the concept of the book as a way of reevaluating what is going to happen with these characters going forward. So I am very much on board And to throw out a reference point, it feels a little bit to me like Paper Girls, sort of, with setting up the characters and then giving this crazy sci-fi twist kind of towards the end there. What did you think, Pete? For me, it had a fun kind of uh, breakfast club type of feel, this coming-of-age story, these friends who are, you know, growing older, maybe growing apart, growing in different directions, uh, but all relying on each other and needing each other. And then twist at the end, uh, which is 
I think they did a great job of lulling us into the sleep of like, it's a coming age story. You know, oh my God, his parents are going away. Is he going to have a party? Uh, yeah, so it's just this kind of thing we've seen a bunch of times and it leans into it so hard. You, uh, you know, you're not, you're a little kind of shocked by the twist at the end. But I think, uh, great job. I think this is an interesting. Uh, a comic and definitely worth checking out, and I'm excited to see what happens. Moon Girl Lots and copies. Uh, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur Number One for Marvel, written by Jordan Ifuko, art by Alba Glez. This is, as you can tell from the title, a new start for Moon Girl. She is trying to keep her powers hidden, which are her smart powers, and team up with a bunch of roller derby girls who also have inhuman powers while keeping her gigantic dinosaur hidden from everybody because her parents just don't want it to be out there. Parents just don't understand, man. Uh, I'll throw something out at you and then I'll kind of back back off from it a little bit. I want to like Moon Girl, but it just doesn't connect with me for some reason. Like, I like the idea of the character more than I've liked the stories. Mm. But this one really won me over. I think they create a good antagonist for Moon Girl here. There's not quite enough devil dinosaur. <laughs> I like to see more of that. But I think the roller derby girls are very fun. And it's a very... For it having superpowers, it's a very down-to-earth book that reminded me pleasantly of early Miss Marvel in particular. Oh, wow. I was going to say this reminded me of Paper Girls a little bit. Mm. But I think it's one of those things where, you know, yeah, they kept the dinosaur. They wanted you to wait. You don't want it. You know what I mean? Uh, they kind of would be like, you know, I got this toy that you like. You just gotta come back. You gotta come back. Um, uh, yeah, I think this is, you know, kind of feels like Moon Girl in a good way, but also pushing her in different ways. So I, I, I felt like they did a super good job of being like, hey, you like Moon Girl? Hey, hey, you like it? Well, guess what? We're gonna do it. We're also gonna do it a little different. It's gonna be a little different. You're gonna be into, you're gonna be into it. I think, uh, yeah, this is solid. Fun Moon Girl stuff. I'm excited to see what they're going to do with her and how it all kind of unfolds. But this is just kind of all set up in preparation that I th- I felt like was worth it. All Against All, number one from Image Comics, written by Alex Pactadal, art by Casper Wingard. In this issue, and full disclosure, maybe I'm misunderstanding the premise, but it is the far future of Earth or an enclosure or something like that where a bunch of aliens are studying humans and other creatures. It seems like some sort of post-apocalypse situation. And these aliens essentially take biological bits from other creatures to add to themselves. The creatures, though, are not alien-style or predator-style. They're kind of dirty scientists throughout. And the villain of the book, in a certain way, is the one human who they left alive accidentally. I love the wild twists and turns that this book takes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, the whole, like, kind of robot alien thing, kind of repeating the in-control thing was a real trip and really interesting and very well done. Um Anytime you really feel dialogue in a comic book, you're like, oh, wow, this is so powerful. The the real hero here is the art. I mean, come mm-hmm. on, man. This is just absolutely gorgeous art. 
uh, that kind of sucks you into this post-apocalyptic robot alien world. And uh, it's very cool. That also has this kind of like caveman kind of twist to it, which is very interesting. Um, yeah, I really felt like um, this is a great setup for for something more to come, and, I, and I'm fully on board. They, they completely won me over with this ish. Yeah, the art is by Casper Wingard, who I'm completely blanking on the actual name of the book. It's not Home Street Pilots. It's Homesick Pilots. Homesick Pilots. There we go. Uh, And yeah, it's awesome. His designs here are so cool. If you're looking for something wild and weird and unexpected, definitely check this out. All kind of remind me of like that Cowboys uh, versus Aliens versus Robots thing that was. Mm. Interesting. Let's talk about the Joker, the man who stopped laughing. Number three from DC Comics, written by Matthew Rosenberg, art by Carmine Di Jenna DiBancanico and Francesco Francovia. In this issue, the Joker, or who we assume is the actual Joker, has committed crime all over the world while a man who probably isn't the Joker, but maybe is the Joker is tangling with the Red Hood as well as Harley Quinn in this issue. This is... I'm trying to think about a way of saying this, but this is not a nice way of saying it, but I'll say it anyway. Whatever the three Jokers was aiming for, this is doing it, but right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's a good way to put this. Um, yeah, this is a crazy story that I'm still not sure of what's happening, mm-hmm. but I'm more into it, and I'm very intrigued to see how this is all going to unfold. But again, uh, SDB art, man. I mean, this is just some really fun. The art's just as crazy as the Joker is. This feels like some some really iconic joker panels and they're the art is just as twisted as the joker is oh that's pretty good i i really like how carmine carmine d gianna dubangico i'm definitely mangling that i'm sorry draws red hood in particular uh, and the way matthew rosenberg writes him too but there's something about like just seeing his eyes and this tuft of wife hair yeah. that's coming out that's yeah. really interesting. And the backup stories from Francesco Francovia are mm-hmm. like these crazy Twilight Zone Joker stories as well that vaguely tie into the main story. This is one that it feels like we're going to read and then want to go back and read again yeah, at the exactly. end to really understand yeah. what's going on. Great stuff. Avengers number 63 from Marvel, written by Jason Aaron, art by Javier Garan. This is the second part of the Avengers Assemble storyline that started with the Alpha issue last week. Here we're getting the assembled current Avengers, as well as the past Avengers from 1 million BC, fighting the universal, multiversal, excuse me, Masters of Evil. Uh, There's still some huge stuff that goes on in this issue. What'd you think, Pete? Yeah, I mean, this is just so much fun. So much crazy, fun, fighting, epic panels. I love the Ghost Rider off that happens in this issue. And the last panel, super exciting stuff here. This is this really just feels like Jason Aaron having having fun in the sandbox with these great kind of action figures in such a cool way. Uh, just super type bananas art. Yeah, this is great. 
Yeah, it just keeps elevating in a bigger yeah. and bigger way throughout. It made me think a little bit about Dark Crisis and nothing against our friend Joshua Williamson, but a lot of that feels like a slugfest. And for the first couple of pages of this issue, I was like, they're just going to be fighting the entire time. But the way that it elevates nonstop where Dr. Doom releases this plague that is going to envelop the entire planet and destroy all cavemen. And then they have to stop that. And that causes another thing to happen. It's just this constant gamemanship that's going on. That is, It's funny because we both had the same thought, but when I said, I was like, Oh my God, are they going to have fighting just this whole issue? You know, like there's a difference. <laughs> like, We're saying oh, the same man, thing. They're going to fight this whole issue. Yeah. We're different people. Yeah. Radiant Pink, number one from Image yeah. Comics, written by Megan Camarena and Melissa Flores, art by Emma Kubert. This is a continuation of the massive verse started with Radiant Black. Here we're following Radiant Pink, who has a live stream and is also trying to do a little bit of good. There's a big twist by the end of this issue. But once again, another win for the massive verse, I think. I, yeah. I love this book. I was a little worried because I was like, this is a very stupid thought. I'm going to put it out there. But I was like, pink is very close to red, and we just read radiant red. Oh, What's the boo. different here? I thought you were going to be like, what is this going to be like the, when the pink ranger showed up? Like, what are we doing here? I don't know what that means, but I appreciate you and your references. <laughs> uh, but I, I definitely felt like we've gotten radiant black. We've gotten radiant red. We have dead lucky. We have uh, rogue sun. We have all of these books here. How is this going to differentiate itself? And it 100% different immediately killing it. I don't oh my God. do all the colors. If it's yeah. going to keep being bangers, then let's do it. I, uh, yeah. I I didn't have any kind of I was just because the radiant universe has been killing it so much I saw radiant pink and I was like all right let's go <laughs> and uh yeah did not disappoint such a kind of fun take and uh, yeah this kind of thing of like I love this idea of like oh my god you're you're a superhero you're finally making a difference how do you sleep how do you stop because as soon as you start to rest somebody starts to get hurt and it's like how do you kind of find time for yourself so you can recharge and be the best version of you uh, as you keep going such a great idea so well executed really fun uh yeah I I really thought this was a, a, another banger issue and shout out to Abby Kubert's art as well, continuing the tradition of great art from Kubert's. I think there's some really great characters in here. There's some great designs. Oh, yeah. There's a tease without getting into spoilers. Some of, fantastic panels, just like totally just giant uh, epic panels, just so well done. Yeah, and, and this also really got me in terms of the, and then we can move on, but this really got me in terms of the heroic feels I feel like we've not gotten a lot of heroes just saving people and there's yeah. a whole sequence where this is a spoiler here so tune out if you don't want to know but Radiant Pink is a Twitch streamer she has started a, a fundraiser for a hospital and then she also appears as Radiant Pink as the hospital and so she's kind of like doing double duty and sort of some taped footage. But she's at the hospital. And she's like, wow, we've really raised a lot of money. This is wonderful. And then a bob goes off. And she has to deal with getting everybody out of the hospital. And it's not this thing where she's like, she flies one person out and she's like, gosh, got everybody out of the hospital. They sit on it. 
and they they stay with it in a way where you just emotionally feel, oh my gosh, this is a hero pushing themselves to the limit to save as many people as possible. And it's something that you just, you can only really get with a new character, but you just don't get in a Marvel or a DC comic anymore. And it was really wonderful to see. So I, th- I think it can be done. It's not like Marvel sure. or DC couldn't do it. But yeah, the fact that it's been done so much, they overlook it, you know? And uh, I think, yeah, uh, because it is a new character and they're kind of really leaning into it, it's really great. Yeah, wonderful first issue. Check it out, even if you have been checking out the Radiant Solid Universe. First-ish. Next up, Gotham City, year one, number three from DC Comics, written by Tom King, art by Phil Hester. In here, we are continuing to following the missing Wayne child being tracked down by Slam Bradley. We get some very dark turns in this issue. What do you think about this one, Pete? I know you've been very back and forth about Tom King's th- stuff sometimes. So how do you feel about this t- story? Well, first off, you got to talk about how tight these bananas are. I mean, this art is ridiculous. It is unbelievable. It is just uh, the leader uh, of this whole thing. And um, I I don't like the reveal that uh, the Waynes were a bunch of a-holes. So I'm kind of having a hard time with that, but I am getting lost in the beauty that is this art. So that was a nice warm blanket for me uh, for the kind of awful reveals about the Waynes family in this issue. Um, so, yeah, this is this is a little harder for me. I don't like some of the choices that they're making about the Waynes, but um, the paneling and the art are, make it worth it. So I'm... On the same page as you, I think, because generally this is making me a little uncomfortable to read sometimes in terms yeah. of the history of Gotham City. But one thing that I'll throw out at you that I don't think is going to be apparent until the end of this series is this is a story that Slam Bradley is telling to Batman. Is Slam Bradley a reliable narrator? Oh, we don't know. Yeah. We don't know if this is through his particular view of the situation. We don't know if this is how the characters actually were. This is not, this is the definitive take. It's, this is how Slam Bradley saw them. This is the situations. This is how he's remembering it decades later. So I don't know. I mean, this might be, yes, this is how it actually is. This is in continuity, whatever that means at this point with these sort of books, (laughs) or it could just be, no, Slam Bradley is remembering it this way, and maybe he's remembering it wrong. Maybe he's remembering it through his own perspective. Regardless, like you said, Tom King, always a good writer, even if I don't love the direction the stories are going in. Phil Hester, phenomenal art, particularly for this sort of thing. Oh, yeah. This reminds me of like a Sin City, but set in Gotham City. And I think if that's what they're aiming for, they're nailing it. Killing it. Daredevil number six from Marvel, written by Chip Zdarsky, art by Rafael de la Torre. A lot of stuff going in this issue, but the main thing is that Daredevil has broken up a bunch of supervillains out of a supermax prison, taking them to his ninja island, and is trying to therapize them thanks to Walter Samson. I always forget his name. Sasquatch. Not Sasquatch. Stick? No. Green guy. Well, I'll, I'll look it up. Anyway, this is great. 
Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, you know, I kind of, I'm also very, I I like the swings that Daredevil is taking right now. The fact that they're, you know, he's talking about humanity and he's talking about caring for everybody and trying to, um, you know, not leave people behind and make sure people are supported. And it's a, it's a great idea and uh, it's interesting the way it's kind of falling, but uh, they're also setting up a showdown with the Punisher. Uh, yeah, you you sure you want to you sure you want to do this, Daredevil? Because I'm not sure it's going to go well for you. Because the Punisher right now has got glowing red eyes and is reaching <laughs> unmatched pa- uh, parallels of power right now. And I don't know if you just want to roll up on the Punisher right now. But hey, Daredevil, you do what you got to do. And I feel like you're going to get your. Um, your sweet beard handed to you. I mixed up Walter Langowski, who is Sasquatch, and Doc Sampson. Doc Sampson. Yeah. Who is Leonard Sampson, yeah. who is uh, the therapist. Yeah. He turned into Sasquatch. It's very complicated. Don't even worry about it. Comics, man. Yeah. Uh, comics, man. I agree. But regardless, this book is awesome. I love what they're doing here. And this really feels like... Chip Zdarsky was doing a lot of great stuff beforehand, but this feels like this is his signature run. This is his signature take on Daredevil. We talk a lot about how... It's been. I mean, he's like been killing it. Well, he's been killing it, but this is the thing where like Daredevil is characterized to me by big moves. It's people who are like... Daredevil reveals his identity or Daredevil is dead or whatever. Daredevil is now the leader of the hand or anything like that. And this here is like a Daredevil we've never seen before being pushed to the edge, doing things he's never done before, but still iconically Daredevil. It's great. Behold Behemoth, number two from Boob Studios, <laughs> written by Tate Bromble, art by Nick Robles. The first issue was one of those classic first issues I was talking about where we had a character who was investigating a young girl who was, I think, uh, lost her dad or something like that. Mm-hmm. This is one that I read and I was like, what is going on here? We definitely read the first issue, but I don't remember. But then I remembered halfway through we jump to the far future where this guy and this kid are now teamed up traveling through the post-apocalypse where these enormous monsters pop out. They are tied to them in some way. And we jump back in time to see a little bit more of the beginning of this issue. I'll tell you what, I was a little confused with the first issue, but I am on board with issue two. I thought this was awesome. What about you, Pete? Yeah, I agree. Issue two really kicked into another gear for me. Uh, I feel like this art is absolutely bananas fantastic. This is just uh, the kind of different panels of like when things are crazy, like even the panels are breaking apart. And Mm -hmm. I feel like that was such a fun choice. Yeah, there's a lot of layers to this girl and dude, and they both have different kind of powers uh, and their kind of struggles in this post-apocalyptic world. It's very unique and creative, and so far I've been really enjoying the twists and turns that kind of happen in this ish. Very cool. Definitely check it out. Next up, Hexware, number one from Image Comics, written by Tim Seeley, art by Zulema Scato Lavina. In this issue, an android tries to save her owner 
by using dark black magic, and it goes particularly wrong. We're following two different timelines here, following what happened to Zandroid after, as well as getting the origins of that. This is not at all what I expected from the cover or even from reading the issue throughout. Really? Well, just it went in some wild directions, I think. Sure. I feel like this is kind of a classic Tim Seeley here where we got a little horror. We got a little sci-fi. We got a little action. We got a little comedy. Like there's, uh, yeah, I feel like this is a, a solid Tim Seeley package here. Where you're, uh, you know, he kind of does a great job of telling a very creative and fun story that's very action forward. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I just feel like um, it's, uh, you know, the little dash of horror in there makes me uh, all warm and fuzzy. Where I'm like, oh, Tim Seeley, you, you, uh, you, you love it. You love. It. <laughs> This took me a little while to get into in case it wasn't clear about what I said first, but I think by the end I was very much on board. And I think in particular Zulema Scato Lavina's design of the main character is really cool and iconic in the same way that, say, Cassie Hack is from Hackslash. I think that 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 is good. I didn't didn't put those two together, but now that you're saying it, yeah, yeah. There you go. But good stuff. Punisher number eight from Marvel, written by Jason Aaron, art by Jesus Saiz and Paul Azaceda. We talked about the other side of this with Daredevil, and now let's move on to the Punisher, who is building up to a confrontation with Ares, the god of war, while back in time. Punisher and his wife Maria are trying to figure out their marriage. This is... Go ahead, Pete. Well, take it easy with the finish, figure out their marriage stuff. It's, you know, it's dealing with the fact of, uh, you know, when someone comes home, uh, you know, it's it's hard to re kind of like click back into, oh, I don't constantly have to be in fear of my life and, you know, have a gun on me all the time and be ready to shoot and kill and all that kind of stuff. I'm now a civilian and going about normal daily stuff. Yes, and I, uh, you know, that is a part of the Punisher who he is. But I also love the fact that we're really finding out not only more about the Punisher, but also about his wife and their relationship and how hard relationships are, but also about their love and how strong and how beautiful it was. I mean, that's the thing that I love about the Punisher is the Punisher was broken by the loss of his wife and and children in such a way that he might never recover. And so, um, you know, you kind of have that uh, that moment in that issue where they're saying, like, you know, I wish, I wish that day in the park wouldn't end, you know, and, and then you find out it wasn't that day in the park. Mm-hmm. It was just a day in the park, and I was just like, oh, my God. Uh, but yeah, I, I you know I I love all of this. I'm a little worried about like how she's alive and what's going on and all that kind of stuff. But I'm also uh, just loving this setup for the kind of battle royale versus uh, Ares, the god of war, who's coming knocking on the Punisher's door. So uh, man, loving the crap out of this unbelievable art, unbelievable 
Punisher storytelling and uh, moving, giving us new information on such an old character and making it feel fresh and moving it in such a crazy cool direction, but also building towards an epic showdown that might not even be the showdown. This is the pre-showdown, the Aries, and then we're going to have Daredevil next. I, I don't know what's going to be more epic, but it's it's going to be glorious for sure. I think that was a really good point in terms of the Maria-Frank relationship in particular, because a very easy way to go with this sort of thing would be we go back in time and we find out they didn't really love each other and it was terrible and it was a broken relationship. That's not what Jason Aaron is writing at all. And that's not what Paul Azaceda is drawing in this issue in particular. We're showing that they go to marriage therapy, but Frank is so broken by PTSD and his experience in war. He can't connect, but he, he does want to connect and he does want to be with Maria and Maria wants to be with him. Like you're saying, it is the relationship of people that love each other. And the other thing, and this is a spoiler here for the issue, but the fact that all of this domestic drama is going on and the big reinvention here is like the plot line in the past is Maria is trying to decide, should I use this gun that Frank gave me? I don't know how I feel about this. Frank obviously is like a human gun, but I don't know how I feel about this. And he wakes up in the middle of it. He's like, I thought I heard something outside. And that's why he's standing there with a rifle. And she's like, you don't need that. And then they make love while that's happening. And it is this very like classic scene of he is broken. He thinks everything is war. Why could there be something outside? And then they connect to each other. and It's lovely. But then Paul has to say to draws it. It cuts this battle outside where there's just the hand ninjas all over their house. And it's so fucked up and so insane and over the top. And you're like, Oh my God, they have been tracking him his whole life. Yeah. Since he was a child. Well, that's been such a huge reveal that this showdown has been coming the whole time. Because it's like, oh, also, do you know who's the biggest fan of the Punisher? Ares, the god of war. You know, like, he's (laughs) rocking a Punisher shirt. He shows up. He's like, my boy, Punisher. Like, it is such a crazy kind of uh, take on something that we didn't think there could be any new takes on. Also, the fact of, like... You know, we've seen the Punisher have some crazy, uh, you know, like he's been war machine. He's had, you know, bullets that uh, turned into knives before they, <laughs> you know, like now the fact that he's uh, making bullets out of this, uh, this special uh, knife is just, uh, oh, man, this is this is going to be like, oh, man, I cannot wait. These issues have been. They did such a beautiful job of building this story up uh, that, I mean, oh, I've just been so impressed with Jason Aaron and what he's doing with this story arc. I mean, stay what you want about the Punisher, but man, some of the best storytelling, as far as I'm mm-hmm. concerned, uh, a, a flawed human being who's going through a lot. I, I just uh, it's been so moved by this. And last thing that I'm going to say, the way that Jesus Saiz draws Maria with the bullet wounds and oh the way God. that she sort of touches on them. Yeah. There's I something mean, about those panels that just is phenomenal. Super typing as art. 
super type and as aren't there you go mm. batman and the joker the deadly duo number two from dc comics by mark silvestri this is batman and the joker teaming up to fight a bunch of clones that two issues in they still not figured out that they are clones of batman and the joker batman's like oh it's got joker dna and some sort of other dna i wonder what it could be and i'm like it's you <laughs> what are you doing you know this but I I was not totally on board with the first issue of this. This is another one that I feel like the second issue kind of sold me, particularly in terms of the insanely high stakes of what's going on here. What do you think, Pete? Well, as soon as you said Mark Silvestri, I was just like, I'm on board. How much do you need? Because I'm in. Uh, love his art. Unbelievable stuff. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> yet, but I'm still having a great time. Um, For me, it was worth it for the art alone. Little Monsters, number eight from Image Comics, written by Jeff Lemire, art by Dustin Wynn. And this issue, we're finding out a little bit more about the mythology of these tiny little vampires who are just trying to survive in the post-apocalypse. Like we talk about every issue, there's only like, there's like a little morsel. Like Jeff Lemire and Dustin Wynn, they just give you like a tiny little morsel of information every issue. But I'm so interested in the information every time that it comes out. I keep reading this book. Um, how are you feeling about it, Pete? Dustin Wynn's art is just unfreaking believable. Like, what's so interesting is like, you know, some artists are, you know, like really focused on detailed backgrounds and stuff. But like, even if it's just a wash in the background or whatever, the face that you get, the details in the and the facial stuff and just fan fucking tastic. I these this little monsters book has been just nothing but uh, just I, I'm just so blown away by the art and everything that they're doing. You've you've got two leaders in their field doing some of their best work, and it's just absolutely phenomenal. Like the moment where the kids are having like tea time before everything goes sideways is such a fun moment, and just just such a kind of microcosm of everything that's going on in there. Yeah, I I love it. I will say, based on the cover where they did this as like a visual novel. Mm -hmm. I wish they had delved into just that. I wish they had stayed at that moment of back in time and really gave us sort of this done-in-one issue type thing. Oh, I'm sorry. Is this the part of the podcast where you give notes to Jeff Lemire and Dustin (laughs) Wins? That's what's happening right now? Is that Uh, what's happening? Apparently. Apparently that's what's going on. Wow. I'm sure they're going to take, you know, right. Yeah. Oh, oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. What did Alex Salman say? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Great. We'll apply that to issue nine. Thank you so much. Yeah, for your yeah. Input. Yeah, I'm sure they'll put it on issue nine. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic Four number two for Marvel, written by Ryan North, art by Ivan Coelho. In this issue, we are focusing on Mr. Fantastic and the Invisible Woman. Something has happened to the Fantastic Four that has blown them apart and taken them outside of New York. And we're getting another weird Twilight Zone-esque story of them going to a small town and discovering a small town that is full of doom bots. Why? You'll just have to read the issue to find out. I love the structure of this. I Mm -hmm. think 
I I really enjoyed the first issue. I was surprised it started off a thing in Alicia Masters. We got this tease that something had happened with Fantastic Four. But this issue, it really struck me that it feels like Ryan North is taking it back to the original Fantastic Four stories, where it was like, oh, they go to a farm and they discover these scrolls there who are cows, but they're scrolls. That's the whole story. And they're done. And there's obviously like this bigger, th- bigger thing going on of what's going on with the Fantastic Four. Why are they out of town? What happened to them? Why are they on the run? Why don't they know where each other are? Um, but just in terms of weird science stories, this is great. I'm really enjoying this. Weird science. Yeah, I mean, this issue pissed me off a little bit because I walked away with more questions. And I was like, oh, uh, Oh, Doombots, I love Doom. Oh, I, what's happening? What are we doing here? And, uh, yeah, I don't, you know, in the first issue, yeah, we got, like, uh, this kind of side missions with different people and cool. We're gonna, we're setting things up, and that's great, and the art's unbelievable, but I don't know what we're setting up or who we are or if this is a dream. They're just going to wake up and be like, oh, man, Sundays, am I right? Like, what the F is happening, you see? Fantastic Four with the F. Uh, I I love it. What the FF, more like it. I will say this felt a little bit like a re-pilot to me, for those who don't know what that means. I don't know if they really do this anymore. Back in the day when everything was broadcast, they would do a pilot that would set up the premise of the series, and then the second episode would be a re-pilot, essentially reiterating the premise of the series, almost having the very similar plot, but in a different iteration because people are tuning in. And then the third episode is a re re pilot. (laughs) No, uh, the third episode is the point where they would get to it because they'd be like, here's the concept of the show. Oh, did you miss last week? Because streaming is not available and doesn't exist yet. Watch the second episode. This is the hey, concept of the show. People would just watch things when they came out back in the day. It wasn't like they were like, what? Oh, I don't know what's going on. But that's what it was. Is There was a the TV pilot. guide. You know, it would guide you on everything that was happening. On the channels. Yeah. Back in the day, yeah, I would watch the wandering minstrels as they went from town up, to town. Let me look they it up in the guide. The old Shakespeare. And that's all we liked. <laughs> Anyway, my point being that this feels a little bit like a repilot in terms of two members of the Fantastic Forecast travel to a small town and discover something weird is there. So I do want to see a little bit of a shakeup when we focus on the Human Torch in the next, I was about to say episode, but then in the next issue. But otherwise, I think this is great. Ivan Cabela's art is great. Yes. And I love the focus on Mr. Fantastic and the Invisible Woman. I know you don't love them as a couple because you don't like Mr. Fantastic. but He doesn't respect her. Uh, he does in his own way. All right. Let's move on to talk about Rick and Morty versus Cthulhu, number one from Odie Press, written by Jim Zub, a.k.a. Zubhub, art by Little. In this issue, Rick and Morty find out that Jerry is reading a Cthulhu book and their dimension has been invaded by H.P. Lovecraft stories. So they go back through H.P. Lovecraft stories and decide to kill everybody. Uh, This is not necessarily what I expected here, but... 
main thing that I appreciate is that Jim Zub goes hardcore in the fact that H.P. Lovecraft has a really complicated, very racist legacy and does not shy away from that at all. Like, I was mainly expecting, oh, we're going to get Cthulhu, we'll get Cthulhu monsters, but he's like, no, this guy's racist. He's, he's a racist. Here's how he is a racist. And I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I, okay, uh, I, 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 I do. I, well, think I, I just want to be clear: you're not saying you love racist. You're saying that you love I the love, fact that it's being pointed out like, and talked about. Like how Michelangelo, Michelangelo is what I call him, loves being a turtle. <laughs> I love being a racist. Oh my god! I uh, wow! I, I identify H.P. Lovecraft is the first time I saw myself represented on screen. <laughs> oh my god! What is happening? I can't believe you're saying these. Ridiculous things, and then I have to try to form a sentence afterwards, and I can't because my mind is just like, "What the fuck are you doing, Zalvin?" Uh, the Zub is super smart. He's a super geek. He goes hard on things, so I'm I'm glad that he. This is no exception. It was great to see his take on Rick and Morty. I think there is this feel of if you love the show, you're going to love this comic. They really bring the same kind of vibe to it and, yeah, take apart things as they do in such a unique and cool way. And that's one of the things I love about the show. And I think that they do this here and Zub does a great job of capturing that and then kind of also turning it up and turning it on its head in a fun way. And, uh, yeah, I, I think this is a great comic. You know, a lot of times when you get these kind of, like, Rick and Morty, whatever, other things, you know, it can be a little bit hit or miss, but this is pretty solid. I agree. And just for anybody who is a fan of Rick and Morty, last thing that I'll say is... Pickle Rick! Sorry. No. What I was going to say is that it's a couple of seasons back. I think the Rick and Morty relationship has progressed a lot, particularly in the current season, if you've been watching it. So kind of think about it as like season three, season four. But Oh, oh, nice. Okay. Good stuff. Yeah. That Texas Blood, number 20 from Image Comics, written by oh, Chris boy. Condon, art by Jacob Phillips. This is a one-off Christmas special. Come on, dude. Where? Hit you in the fucking feels, bro. Oh, my gosh. I was I, not ready. This series can be anything and yeah it's wild this is a one shot set at christmas it's essentially a christmas special where the son of the main sheriff that we're following in different timelines is telling a story to his parents that he made up about a mummy who is a cowboy back in the old west and there's a there's a bone pterodactyl and zombies and vampires and other things. It's funny. It's weird. It's not like any other issue in the series. I love that they are just going for it. It's. I was completely blindsided because I felt like they were like, hey, you know, uh, we've been doing something that kind of like a regular pace that's super dependable and you know where you're going to get it every single issue. Let's throw all of that out the window. I'm sorry. What? <laughs> and they do it, and I was reading and being like, okay, well, how long are we going to fucking listen to this kid? Like, you know what I mean? Like, other people's kids are great, but I mean, I don't have to fucking sit here through this. But then it just gets you and doesn't let you go. And man, by the end, you're like bawling your eyes out. It's such a cool, great kind of classic cl- Christmas ending that I was just like... Uh, afterwards, I was crying. I was like, God bless us, everyone. Oh, my God. Uh, uh, but, yeah, 
super impressive the fact that they could pull off such a swerve and something that has been kind of already delivering on such a level. The fact that they were okay to kind of take something really in a different direction was pretty impressive. And it's sad Justin isn't here to talk about this because he fucking loves this comic. Yeah, I will say somebody hit us up, and I'm sorry, I don't remember the username on Twitter about holiday specials. I mentioned the King in Black Immortal Hulk uh, issue, which was awesome. But I'd throw this on there as well. Just as a one shot, even if you don't read that Texas Blood, check this out. It's a great one shot. I would say so. Yeah, you don't have to. This is you can just pick this up. It's a great, great. And if you like this, maybe you'll start at the beginning of Texas Blood. Uh, although it's nothing like this, <laughs> so <laughs> there maybe you go. not. But man, yeah, it but is. it's a different, a couple of different modes. Like I love that, and we've mentioned this a couple of times. But I love the fact that like it started in a very positive way as almost a criminal clone yeah. talking about the Ed Brubaker, Sean Phillips series mm-hmm. and it has become so many different things over the course of 20 issues. It's great to see predator number five from Marvel written by Ed Bryson art by Kev Walker in this issue. Our main character who has been hunting predators is taken in by a bunch of humans and finally meets other people. It goes predictably wrong. I will say, I love the series. Kev Walker's art is awesome. This, to me, felt the most like a alien issue, almost more than a Predator issue. And oh, I don't wow. say that in a bad way. Okay, I can kind of see that. Um, but I I still love this issue. I still was like, this is... This is uh, has no business being a predator issue because of how cool it is and how like I love this take on this kid and what's going on and like I I don't know I felt like this was such a cool kind of like let's slow this story down and really focus on this moment in time and what this means and I feel like there was such a smart call and such an interesting idea very well executed fantastic art I I don't know. I didn't know I could love a Predator series this much. I mean, uh, they, they've been really killing it on this series. I totally agree. Very curious to see how they wrap it up next issue. Next up, The Ones, number two, from Dark Horse Comics, written by Brian Michael Bendis, art by Jacob Edgar. This is following a bunch of chosen ones who have been gathered together by a mysterious person and then refused the call. And then we cut to... <laughs> A decade plus later, where the son of Satan is taking over the world. They're fighting him. That's where we pick up this issue. And we flash back in time and find out about our Chosen Ones coordinator, what his origin story here is. This is the most excited that I have been about a Brian Michael Bendis story in years. Wow. How do you feel, Pete? I, I, I think this is so much fun. I think this was such a great issue, such a solid issue of like, you know, the first issue I thought was cool, but this really kicked this into gear in such a great way. Uh, I love the introduction of the kind of like magical being they find in the, the storage space and like just kind of his trajectory and what happens with that. Uh Yeah. Love the art, love the storytelling. This is a really solid second issue that, to me, kind of brought this to a whole nother level. Uh, yeah, I've been I'm super impressed with this uh, this comic. 
This is so much fun. Definitely go back and check out the first issue if you didn't, and definitely pick up the second. The Least We Can Do, number four from Image Comics, written by Yolando Zanfardino, art by Elisa Romboli. This is following a woman who is trying to train in some sort of mystical arts involving stones. They're fighting evil and other things. She tries to step up this issue. I think we checked out the first issue of this and maybe did not review it until this one. But what do you think about this one, Pete? That's the least you could do. You know what I mean? Just to check out this comic. I, I really loved where it <laughs> ended. The heartfelt ending really got to me. Love the art. Love the character designs. Really fun. Um, yeah, I. it's kind of madness uh, a little bit and all over the place, but then kind of really settles down, and I love kind of where it ends and what's going to happen moving forward. Totally agree with you on that. I think this feels like the sort of title where... Wait, this wasn't a cartoon back in the 80s, (laughs) you know, when you're reading it, where it has that sort of nostalgic factor, but did it actually exist? And I think Elisa Rambali's art is great. It really defines the characters in a really nice way. So I keep wanting to call it a magical girl girl thing like Sailor Moon, but it's not exactly that. It's more like... I don't know. I couldn't really find the touch point for it necessarily, but it definitely feels like its own thing. It definitely feels like a classic 80s cartoon, but put into comic book form. So if you've got the itch for that, definitely check this out. Secret Invasion number two from Marvel, written by Ryan North, art by Francesco Bibilli. In this issue, Maria Hill has gotten the news about a Skrull invasion of Earth. She's not going to let it go the same time this time as the previous Secret Invasion. She is one step ahead of them, or are the Skrulls one step ahead of her? Oh. I love this. I did not love the secret invasion event that happened back in the day, but the way that Ryan North and Francesco Mobili are really leading into just this spy versus spy chess match is very cool. It's very smart and it's very fun to read. What do you think, Pete? Well, the the only reason that I was kind of like disappointed is because of the reveal at the end that maybe we're not as smart as we think we are. And so I was like, oh, no, we're in trouble. <laughs> oh, no. So I was kind of sad about that. But it was such a cool twist and reveal. Um, yeah, I think this is doing a great job of setting something up that could be very epic. I just hate it when the, they use scrolls as kind of retcons and mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So I'm hoping that's not what's going to happen. This feels very self-contained to me, which is what is making me okay with it versus how do we figure out that Hank Pibb has been a scroll for the past decade yeah, of stories exactly. or whatever yeah, yeah. it is. This is just kind of its own thing and it's doing a good job. It's very smart. It's a lot of like, like I said, chess match between the scrolls and Maria Hill and other folks. Good stuff. Very fun. Hellboy in Love, number two from Dark Horse Comics, written by Christopher Golden, art by Matt Smith. This is not the end of the series, but this is the second part of a two-part story as Hellboy and this woman that he's kind of crushing on are tracking down some goblins. Pete, what did you think? Uh, first of all, i got to give a shout-out to the Yankees hat there. It's nice to see. Um, and it's also nice to see someone representing New York and not being like an overly, hey, over here, I'm walking, you know, so it's oh, you nice. Mean like me. I'm always doing that, right? I'm like, hey, I fold my pizza like this. 
No, no, I wasn't talking about. I'm you. friends with a rat. Hey, hey, if you could not make this about you, one. Where's Mayor, Mayor <laughs> Eric Adams, my best friend? Oh my god. Um, hey. I really wish I didn't bring that up. Yeah, so this is very touching story. Uh, uh, at the end there, you know, with a little bit of the, is this okay? Love the ask for permission. Um, I think that this was just, uh, you know, I'm a, I love Hellboy. I miss Hellboy. It's nice to have Hellboy back in my life. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know if I believe their love story yet, but it's super sweet and adorbs. And, um, yeah, I, I think this is great art, fantastic storytelling. I'm a sucker for Hellboy, so this is in my... Sweetness wheelhouse. I agree. This is super fun. I think the relationship is very charming. I'm really curious to see where this goes, given that we had a two-issue arc in the middle of a longer series. But if you're looking for a fun Hellboy stories that's a little romantic, definitely check this out. It's delightful. The title delivers what it promises. Captain America, Sentinel of Liberty, number seven from Marvel, written by Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly, art by Carmen Cardero. This is dealing with the ramifications of the last issue, as well as the one-off special, where Bucky has become the revolution part of the inner circle, outer circle. I'm forgetting their name. But Captain... Not Prince in the Revolution. This is a different, yeah. Exactly. It's a totally yeah. different thing. I know everybody was wondering that. So. I was uh, immediately like, oh, uh, oh my what, gosh, what? of course. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And Captain America is trying to deal with that and how he gets past that. Thankfully, he's got Sharon Quarter to give him a little bit of the old boon zone, if you know what I'm talking about. And Sharon Pete Carter. It's Sharon Carter, not Quarter. Um, he's trying to court her is what you were saying. You're a, uh, yeah, I, I just think that, uh, you know, this is doing a great job of kind of picking up where we left off and uh, taking the story into kind of deeper and deeper here. And, you know, uh, it's this classic kind of Bucky cap relationship and what they will do for each other. And, uh, you know, it's, um, uh, it's very interesting and cool, and I'm excited to see where it goes. They're doing a great job of building the story and building tension. And uh, I think if you were digging the first couple of issues, you will continue to dig on this. I agree. This series is great. It has been fascinating to take the whiplash from the very Jonathan Hickman Captain America, the Winter Soldier special back to this, which is very like Ernest Ed Brubaker style Captain America. Um, I love this series. Undiscovered Country, number 22 from Image Comics, written by Scott Snyder and Charles Soule, art by Giuseppe Camincoli and Leonardo Marcello Grassi. In this issue, we are once again jumping between a bunch of different timelines, a future timeline of America, where we see eventually where it ends up after they beat the ultimate enemy, the Destiny Man. And also, two of our characters are jumping through history as they discover in this issue through various various uh, moments in history, excuse me, where America has been attacked. There's a lot of stuff going on here, but there's also some big revelations for the overall mythology of the series. Not to repeat myself, but it really feels like we're heading towards an end game with this issue. What'd you think, Pete? Well, I kind of felt like the character in this comic who was walking around going, what the hell? 
<laughs> what what the hell? I mean, this is such a creative juggernaut that the Soul and Company has come up with here. And it is really kind of pushing this kind of narrative of information and how we get information and what's real and what's not and kind of like heightening it and taking it into um, you know, interesting places. And this is kind of delivering on that. We go kind of back to a civil war type thing going on here. And then like, you know, the creepy librarian who doesn't like it when you type in America into the Google search, you know, so there's like a lot of like, uh, interesting places that it's going that I'm like, if I kind of knew overall what was happening, I could enjoy this a little bit more. I feel like, but, uh, I'm really excited for the ride. Super type bananas are, uh, and, uh, yeah, it's it continues to be such a, uh, a crazy fun excursion to go on here. Extreme X-Men number one from Marvel, written by Chris Claremont, art by Salvador LaRocca. This is another throwback title in the X-Men universe from Marvel. Here we are going back to the Extreme X-Men of the title. As Kitty Pride is once again taken over by Ogun, or trying to be taken over by Ogun, the character for the classic Kitty Pride and Wolverine series back in the... I want to say 80s, probably. Uh, it was like 90s. Whatever it is, we're getting a bunch of characters there as we get a conclusion, maybe, to Chris Claremont's trilogy on this issue. Um, as somebody who is a huge fan of Kitty Pride and Wolverine, this hits that nostalgia factor, but how does it work as a comic book today, Pete? Oh, what a fun twist there at the end there. Uh, yeah, so I feel like... Um, First off, you know, unfortunately with X-Men right now, because of what's going on, to really give uh, that classic X-Men feel, you got to go back in time because you can't deal with what's happening now because it's all fucking a shit show. So, yes, they go, they get Chris, Chris Claremont, uh, the OG, to be like, hey, can you come in here, save the X-Men again? He's like, sure, I got it. You want 90s? I fucking got you. We're going to fucking turn this thing to 11 and uh, it's going to be extreme. So, yeah, I thought this was fun. It really felt like a good mixture of uh, the 90s and the great hits from today as well. So it was like a fun compilation there. And I think they they did a good job of kind of like giving you that kind of like over-the-top team feel and then kind of also dealing with Kitty Pride and the stuff that she's going through and kind of fun reveal of her monocle uh, in this, so that was pretty neat. The real hero to me was Salvador LaRocca's art, always great, really good X Men art throughout here. This is Chris Claremont playing the hits, which is totally fine. I like the hits, I like hearing them. Um, so it's all good. I don't know necessarily how this appeals to people outside of that age group, but if you're looking for this, that'll provide that nostalgic hit. Shock Shop number four from Dark Horse Comics, written by Cullen Bunn, art by Denny Luckert and Layla Lays. This is the last issue of this anthology series telling two stories. In the front story, we've got a very The Thing-style story set in the woods. and the back story, we've got a dude who has a bunch of demons that he's summoned who are killing people, and he has to deal with that in this issue. I thought this was a really fun series with two very fun, gruesome stories 
that I really enjoyed quite a bit. Pete, I know you're not as big of a fan of horror. How did you feel about this? Yeah, not 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 so much. Uh, uh, I really I thought though that the the monster really freaked me out in the first story, uh, but I also really enjoyed the first story. I thought it was an uh, interesting kind of classic horror twist, especially with that last panel. I was like, ha ha. Um, but yeah, and the, uh, the second story was a little, uh, you know, the monster got gross uh, as the story went on, but still, uh, it was it wasn't as a detailed. You know, it had a little bit of a light cartoonish feel, so I wasn't as scared, which I enjoyed. Um, but yeah, you know, fun collections of stories. If you're into horror, this is definitely delivering. Um, yeah. I thought it was very fun. I hope Colin Bunn does something like this again with two other stories because this was very enjoyable. One of my favorite things that he's done and then recently at least. Spider-Man number three from Marvel written by Dan Slott, art by Mark Bagley. In this issue, the remaining Spider-Men's and women's of different universes are teaming up against Shothroth. I believe that's her name, who is the Wasp Queen who is trying to attack them, along with Morlun, who is helping them out. In this issue, all of the spider people are like, hey, we're not going to listen to the actual plan to stop them. Let's instead head off under our own missions. It goes predictably wrong in the worst way possible. I'm really liking this title. I think Dan Slott is killing it in terms of making this a big event inside of a title. How do you feel, Pete? Yeah, I mean, you got to stick to the plan, man. You know, like you can't just go off and start doing stuff that you want to do. But yeah, I think I agree with you, Dan Slott, uh, right Spider-Man like nobody else. And uh, it's nice to see him doing his thing here. Uh, Yeah, I I think this is a a solid Spider-Man story. Earth Divers, number three from IDW Publishing, written by Stephen Graham Jones, art by David Gianfelice. In this issue, we're continuing to follow the story of a dude who traveled back in time in order to kill Columbus, in order to change the history of America. But we're spending a lot of time in this issue focusing on the future timeline, which uh, where America has been destroyed and ravaged by climate change, among other things. We're finding out a lot of stuff about the mythology in this issue. This, to me, I really like the series a lot. This, to me, though, felt like a lot of info dump in this issue. I assume it's necessary for what's going on, but maybe not my favorite issue going so far. What do you think, Pete? Well, I think, first off, the the real hero here is the artist. It's really unbelievable art, super tight bananas. I mean, uh, the, there isn't a lot of words in some of the panels, and the artist does such a great job of showing emotion on the faces, like showing what the character's going through without uh, without telling us. I, I was really impressed uh, with the art in this book. Um, yeah, I mean, some uh, you know, they do... There's a lot of twists and turns and a lot of things going on, but there's also like a lot of information that kind of slows things down a little bit. So uh, overall, though, I think this is a, a really interesting idea, and I'm excited to see how it kind of all unfolds. But yeah, this one is a little bit of a kind of a, a more weightier issue as far as like 
all the kind of info dump, but I still it was kind of impressed with overall uh, what's happening here in this book. Totally agree, and I think it's presenting very different types of stories. It's following indigenous stories in particular, so yeah. that's something that's giving a very different perspective, but... I like this book. I'm excited to read issue four, even if issue three wasn't necessarily my favorite. Let's talk about one that I did like, though. The Variance number five from Marvel, written by Gal Simone, art by Phil Noto. This is the last issue of the series as Jessica Jones is following, facing up against, excuse me, a bunch of multiversal variants of herself, as well as one specific one. This is great. This is a phenomenal five-issue series that completely dug very deep into Jessica Jones' psyche with some incredible art by Phil Dodo, who I was thinking about this while I was reading the issue. How tough it is it to draw like 10 different Jessica Jones and make yeah. them all distinct? I, I don't want to underplay that at all. That is a very hard task, and Phil Noto does that. But the way that Gail Simone structures the story is it's ultimately like it's a very complicated idea that's presented in a very simple way for Jessica Jones' story. It's a tiny little bit of character growth for her, but it's a beautiful and important bit of character growth, and I, I love to see it. This is a great five-issue series. I, yeah, I completely agree. I think this is an unbelievable package, an unbelievable team, a writer-artist working together in such an amazing way and taking a character like Jessica Jones and really pushing her in such a cool uh, way that it just has her grow a little bit, but also really like all those different of her still feels like her. You know what I mean? It's really impressive mm-hmm. the way they capture her like that. Uh, yeah, I just, uh, I think, uh, you know, tip of the hat uh, to this uh, it was such a great uh, series and arc and that I would definitely recommend. I'll also mention just on a structural level, normally I would read a comic and if all of the characters were just hanging out on one rooftop for the entire issue, I'd be like, come on. Do yeah. something else. But this really feels like a full meal of a comic book. There's so much that goes on here emotionally in terms of the action and everything else. If you haven't picked up the five issues, do pick up the five issues. Also, presumably, there'll be a trade at some point. That's a great thing to pick up as well. This is a great series. This is an essential read if you're a fan of Jessica Jones. Blood stains, blood stained teeth. Excuse me. Number seven from Image Comics, written by Christian Ward, art by Patrick Reynolds. This is following a vampire who's been tasked with killing other vampires or something like that. Uh, throughout here, he is taking a little bit. We're taking a little bit of a rest. We're uh, we're taking a pause here. Calling a timeout. Calling a timeout. But there's still some big revelations throughout the issue. Issue. I'm really digging this series. I'm really enjoying how, and we had Christian Ward on our show a couple of months back. Oh, man, we should have talked to him about this series. Funnily enough, we did, if you can believe it, Pete. And he really talked about how he was trying to take every issue and make it its own thing. It really feels that way, and even seven issues in, he's totally nailing it. But Patrick and Reynolds' art is great as well. There's some great twists. What do you think, Pete? Yeah, STB. I mean, come on. I mean, this is just the 
the tone of this art is, is, is sinister and kind of like matches uh, uh, the storytelling in such a fun way. It's taking vampires and taking things, but the shading and the, all that stuff kind of makes it feel fresh and new. And it really pops. It's It uh, jumps off the page, which is really very, very interesting and well done. Uh, I love... The story, I, I've, uh, I feel like the kind of uh, ups and downs of the kind of kind of vampire and the teeth and all that kind of stuff. Uh, they do it. They do it really well, and they they really kind of slow things down in such a unique way to kind of breathe more life into uh, things before it starts to kind of kick off again. Yeah, been super impressed with this title. Tiger Division number two from Marvel, written by Emily Kim, art by Crease Lee. In this issue, our team is facing down a bunch of things, but mostly we're going back in time to find out about our villain here. I continue to really like the tone of this book. It's quirky. It's funny. It's weird. What do you think, Pete? Yeah, I agree. I think it it is a fun, unique book, but it also uh, I like the kind of street fighter fighter style of the characters. You know, um, uh, I yeah, I think this is a solid book, great art, and I'm enjoying what's with with what's going on and how they're kind of handling it. Totally agree. And that is it. We did it for the stack. Oh if you would like to support our podcast and all the podcasts we do, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to crowdcast on YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to chat with you about comic books, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at comic book live on Twitter, comic book club live.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, we'll see you at the comic book shop. Yeah.